Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Remember last year, just sharing part of my vision was to see the church recognize the broken body. And I know that sounds kind of morbid. Uh, started a small group yesterday, a community group, and uh, my, my, my hope was that the idea of naming our group The Broken Body. And uh, if you've ever seen Rebellion in Mass, everybody said, that's a horrible. <laughs> but I think it fits in sense of vision because The Broken Body says, listen, we recognize that each one of us here is broken by our sin. We're messed up. And as good as we can portray ourselves in public, we know that a lot of what's going on inside of us needs a lot of grace. And so why not just simply recognize that we are a broken body? We are the body of Christ. We are broken. We struggle. We have difficulties. And it doesn't stop there because part of being the broken body is recognizing that there is a broken body, the broken body of Jesus, who has come and has healed that brokenness and is continuing to work on that healing in the midst of our personal lives as well as our corporate life. So if I had a big picture vision of what I would like to see in the church, it would relate to recognizing that we are a broken body and that we can come to a broken body who gives us health, who gives us wholeness, who gives us life. And so that's part of what my vision is. But today, in looking at what is your vision for the church for the upcoming year, I want to talk about something different. So you see the title here. It's from Discipleship to Disciple Making. Now, when you read that, immediately your first impression is, that's a lot of Christian talk. So I want to go a little bit more with the second one, which is from following to influencing. From following to influencing, which is the same thing just said in different words without all the extra Christian lingo that goes along like that. So what I want to do now is if you can take out your phones just for a minute. You're all panicking, thinking he's going to ask us to turn it on silent. Fear not, I am not. I want you to write something down. Now, you don't have to. This is not an obligation. It is not a requirement. It is not a demand. It's just a request. And I would like you to write down one thing, and this is in your notes section, unless you have an Android, and I don't know if Android has a notes section or whatever. Put it in a text, whatever you want. But I want you to write down one thing that you would like to pass on to someone else this year. Write down one thing you would like to pass on to someone else this year. It can be anything. All the spiritual people are writing, I want to pass on Jesus. <laughs> now, if you wrote that, I'm not mocking you. That's a good thing. But just one thing. I'll give you 13 seconds and... Then uh, just to get a little engagement and interaction, I might ask a few people what, what they wrote. <clears throat> Bless you. Okay, can I, does anyone want to share what they want to pass on? Anyone, feel free. To, if not, I have to call on you and then make up something if you don't have anything. So if somebody wants to share something, usually I pick on the people in the front row. That's why you should never sit in the front row. Anybody? Nobody? 
You want to pass on encouragement, okay? So you want to encourage other people. You want to be known as an encourager. Kenny, are you raising your hand, waving hi to me, or dealing with the camera? Oh, oh, I, oh by, by the way, say hi to everybody online. Uh, anybody else? Jane, you want to pass on hope? You want to pass on hope? Okay, that's good. Anyone, anything else? Thinking of your word of the year, even. I love the interaction. We are so close to an African-American church. It shocks me. Jessica, confidence. You want to pass on confidence to people. Okay, not a confidence game as in like you're conning someone, but confidence. Okay, good. One last person, anybody. Somebody. Faith, you want to pass on your faith. Okay, great. So uh, to, to kind of wrap this up, if I had a vision, if I had what our mission is as a church, and then finally seeing a byproduct, at the end of 2023, 2023, my vision or my hope for Harvest is to develop a, a culture of discipleship, which we talked about, and also disciple-making. So different churches, just by myself, no one else on staff. It's very easy to get into the habit to think that you do it yourself, but you have to pass it on. You have to pass on what you have to other people. So my hope is with this idea of bring someone with you that even when I went on or when I will go on uh, pastoral visitation this year, that I will not go by myself. So in 2022, when I visited all the partners, I went by myself. In 2023, I want to bring others with me so that what happens there gets passed on. And so that's the idea of bring someone with you. And that whole thing for me at least specifically, carries over to things like men's ministry. When we do men's ministry, rather than just having meetings with the hope that people are coming, to actually have people who are going to say, I'm going to bring someone with me. When we're talking about a hopeful marriage mentoring ministry, it will have someone come with you. It's, it's bringing someone, passing something along. Same thing with uh, prayer meeting itself, which is what we'll talk later on. So I want you to just kind of get the thought that what we're going to be talking about today It's not necessarily inspiration per se, but the concept of vision. What do we want to see by the end of the year? So at the end of 2023, if I look back and say, hey, it doesn't seem like we're all gathering people to go out and do more, then the vision hasn't been realized. So we have something to measure by. So what are we going to look at? So I want to talk today about following versus influencing. If you uh, want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And the first thing that I want to talk about is what we are going to pass on, we must possess. So if you're going to pass on something, you have to have it. Deuteronomy 6 says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. This is God speaking to Israel in Deuteronomy before they enter the promised land. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. And when you're on the road, in other words, everywhere, home, not home, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. The whole idea of what God is telling the Israelites is, listen, I've given you these commands. I want you to obey them, and I want you to pass them on to your children so that wherever you go, you are passing on your faith. You're passing on your faith to your children. It's directed specifically, in this instance, towards children. Pass on your faith to your children. Now, what we have to understand 
about discipleship and disciple-making, about following and influencing, is it is not about a program. So I was fortunate enough to come up with a copy that the ancient Israelites used as their program for discipleship. And uh, next slide, I want to show you that. Do you notice that? There is no program. That's why there's the blank slide. For all those that ask, why is there a blank slide? There is no program. You cannot sit down and say, give me a... You've gone through a discipleship. You're back in the same spot. Principles. It's not just teaching principles. Principles are important, but it's not. It's a lifestyle. You see, when God took Israel out of Egypt and he brought them to Mount Sinai, he didn't say, hey, I brought you guys out of Egypt and I'm going to bring you into the promised land because I wanted you to have a nice, comfortable living space. And I'm going to give you a bunch of rules in order to follow so that you can stay in that living space. That's not true at all. What God says in Exodus is that I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. What Jesus, what Jesus, sorry, what God is saying to the Israelites is pretty simple. Come to me, experience life with me, and then pass it on. If you don't have it, you can't pass it on. Let me get Brian question. Uh, we have a budget meeting afterwards today, but I didn't bring my wallet. I forgot it. Do you have a $50 bill I could borrow? Well, come on, bro. No, 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 seriously, come on, man. I got to eat lunch, bro. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work if you don't give it to me, right? Okay, the first thing, you gave that too easy, first of all. Yeah, that might actually be real. All right, thank you. In front of all of you, let's all just thank Brian for getting me lunch at Portillo's today. I'm actually surprised somebody has a $50 bill. The point of that is what? If he doesn't have the $50 bill, he can't give it to me, right? I can ask him all day long, give me a $50 bill if he doesn't have it. But because he had it, I now have it. And I can give it to somebody else. And I will. Because you're so generous. You see what I'm saying? What God is telling the Israelites is, listen, listen, listen. I want you to obey my commands. I want you to follow them. But I'm bringing you into the promised land, not so that you can have this nice, safe comfortable place to live and raise your children in a good place, but to grow in faith and then pass it on to them. So you have to have it. You have to own it. You have to possess it. And my vision, because this is the discipleship part, my vision is for the church to grow in our reflection and depth of our relationship with Jesus, to see the kindness and goodness of who God as our Father really is, to understand how much he loves us even in the muck of life, and in reality, even in the muck of our personal lives as to what is going on in our heart. I realize so deeply, maybe one of the things lacking in our culture today, not just church, is because we have not received so much grace that it's so hard for us to give grace. See, if we don't have it, you can't pass it on. I mean, if you look at the gospel, the gospel itself says pretty clearly Y'all messed up. Y'all have struggled with sin. It removes you from relationship. But here's the grace that I give you. The grace that I give you is my life. 
And when you possess that, it's a lot easier to give grace to other people. So my vision is to start with discipleship, but not to end there, because ultimately what you have in your relationship with Jesus is something that you have to pass on. See, it's not just about you growing, but it's you giving as well. Second thing I want to look at today. There's a difference between following Jesus, which again is discipleship, and influencing others, which is disciple-making. Jesus says in Matthew 28, this is while he's giving his final instructions to his disciples, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, Go everywhere, and everywhere you go, pass on all the things that you have learned from me. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like the Deuteronomy part that we just talked about. But this is where Jesus is saying, guys, you have watched me for years. Now, I don't want you to just sit there and go, man, it was so good to know Jesus, man. Let's go on a retreat and let's talk more about Jesus. What he's saying is, I want you to go forward. Here's your marching orders. See, discipleship is important. It's really important to grow in your knowledge of Jesus. The call of Jesus for the disciples initially was what? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, when Jesus says, come and follow me, what he's saying is come and imitate me. And I know that we've talked about this before, but it's, it's that idea of imitation, when someone follows someone, as a, as a disciple would follow a rabbi, the intent was imitation. So that whatever the rabbi did, <clears throat> the disciples learned how to do as well and do it in the same manner. And it worked. Because if you get to Acts chapter 4, after the big healing in the temple, and they're all looking at the disciples, and they say this question, the leaders go this, these are ordinary guys. They're not seminary trained. They're not rabbi type guys. But you know what? In looking at them, I can tell they've been with Jesus. How do you know that? Because the things that they're doing and the things that they're saying are the very things that Jesus would say and do. And this is probably the third time I'm using this illustration. But with Perry staring at me right there, I have to say, remember in the small group, if you've ever been in a small group with me, I'm, a very dis- I'm like a dog. You know, you see a squirrel, you chase after it. But if you remember, when I'm in a small group, I always want to ask questions, but I don't want to be the main question asker, right? So I would always raise the question through somebody else. So if we're sitting in a small group, let's say this is my small group right here, and I'm looking at Perry, and Brian just said something, and he said something that I wasn't really satisfied with the answer, I would say, Perry wants to ask you a question, and here's what Perry's question is. You've heard that before, right? And it freaked me out one day, but I was so happy when Perry actually did that in our small group once. That's discipleship. How do you know that he had been with me in small group because he was doing exactly what I would say and do? That's discipleship. If it just stops there, though, and we all know Jesus, it's not enough because Jesus called for us because he said, come and follow me, but then he finished it with go and tell everybody else. Because disciple meaning is passing it on. So that when you leave here, it would be interesting like this, if you went to another church and people said, hey, you know, I've been observing you for a little while, 
it seems to me you come from Harvest Community Church because the way you talk is the way they do things or talk about things. <clears throat> That's what disciple-making is. You do it every day with your children. Do you realize if you have children, you are creating disciples, right? Um, my kids, like me, are hilarious. See? Um, but you can, even when my, this is really strange. Okay, so I'm going to out my family a little bit. But even when my kids argue with my wife, they argue like I do. I have discipled my kids. She's probably, my wife's probably frustrated. But in that sense, I have discipled them. Do you realize every one of you here is discipled? Pick up your phones, right? How many of you ache throughout the day to get that little buzz, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or whatever? How many of you sit there and wonder, hey, how many likes do I have? And I got 100 for this, but I only got 50 for that. And how many of you are checking notifications constantly? I don't have uh, social media on my phone just because I'm like that, because I realize that this little box has discipled me, has trained me, to long for communication from people. I want to feel important. I want to feel needed. I want to feel the, the, the rush that comes when you get a notification. I hate the disappointment of when you get a notification and someone responds with something like thanks or great. I want a story. It, it has discipled me. It has trained me. It has shaped me. It has formed me. <clears throat> See, what Jesus is saying is everyone here, listen, we're all discipled by somebody or something. And in some way, we have to change that, be countercultural, and learn how to disciple the people who are around us. Really interesting thing today, after reading that book, Stolen Focus, and talking about all that stuff, and realizing what a slave I can be to my phone. On the way here, this is how freeing it is to get free from that. On the, the, this Sunday, we decided, me and the girls, because I just take the two younger ones <clears throat> to church, and no phone. Put the phone down, and we're going to talk. Isn't that crazy? Could you imagine being in a car ride for 20 minutes, talking with your kids? Drive you nuts, right? Highlight of the week so far. Of course, it's only Sunday, 1045. But it was a highlight because, you know, when you hear the two of them talk about the memories that they had, they went to the mall together yesterday. You know, my two girls have never gone to the mall. To, and, you know, as a parent, you're scared. You know, I, like I, get, I tell you, I warn them. I said, if anybody comes up to you and says they need help with their car, Run. Go to security or tell them to go to somebody else. Because think about it. You're 17, you're 12, and somebody's coming to ask you, help me with my car? When you have all these other adults around you, something's fishy. So with that fear in mind, but the fact that they enjoyed being together. See, that's, this, that's discipleship and disciple making. I'm training them how to be someone more than just their phones. So we are all being discipled. The question is, will you revolt against that? And then to make disciples of others, what will you do in order to do that? My vision for the church for 2023 is for us to be able to say, listen, <clears throat> we will put down that phone and we'll spend the time reflecting and knowing where our heart is, how we are aligned with God or not. It's amazing, it's since having read that book, it's not even a Christian book. Um, and just to see how that author has just changed my thinking to get me to reflect and actually think more. So I want us to see that just because you're doing well spiritually, to really do well spiritually is to actually pass on what you have, which we have already talked about. Third point, we need to pass on our faith, and it is a call for everyone. Passing on your faith is a call for everyone. 
You doing all right there, Brian? I know you're nervous about this 50 bucks. I can feel, I can feel it, man. Don't worry. I'll give it back to you eventually. <clears throat> Second Timothy 2 verse 2 says, You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. See, what, what, what Paul is saying is, if we understand that Paul wrote 2 Timothy, this is near the end, and what he's saying is, it's not going to be much longer that I'm going to be around, but Timothy, everything that I have taught you, everything that I have passed on to you, now you must pass on to somebody else who in turn is going to be faithful and reliable to pass it on to somebody else. There's this progression of continuing to pass it on. Now, I don't remember, is it, was it a L'Oreal commercial? And, and a lot, if you're not over like 30, you won't know what this commercial is talking about. But does anyone remember that commercial where you had the face of the lady? And she said, I had this special shampoo or whatever it was. And then I, I, I told somebody, I told two people, and they see two people come up. And then I told two people, and they see, yeah, but I don't remember that commercial, or am I just describing something that you guys are totally foreign? Okay, it's totally foreign. Okay, so <clears throat> I know I'm not the oldest person here, and those of you who are older and know the commercial, I know you're afraid to out yourselves as being older, but that's okay. The point here is what they're saying is this was so good. This shampoo worked for me. It, it brought body to my hair. I'm, I'm, okay. So I told two friends and they told two friends. And look at all the people who now had it, which is exactly what Paul is saying. Listen, Timothy, what I have told you, tell others. This is a great faith. What do you mean, Paul, this is a great faith? It's a great faith because when you recognize, like when Paul in Romans 7 says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin and death? He then responds with his grief at how messed up he is, is thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the message of the gospel. You are lost. God has found you. You are an enemy of God. He has brought you into his family because he loves you. He wants to lavish grace upon you. What a great message. What a great message to own. What a great message to embrace and to walk with the thought, the idea that God loves me. I don't get that. I have never gotten that. I've never understood how God could love someone who would be so willing and so quick to say, God, it is not your way, but my way. And that's kind of a messed up prayer, but that can be the story of my interior life. God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. And yet over all of that, God says, I still love you immensely, tremendously, unendingly. How can you not pass that on? How can you not embrace that, own that, possess it, have it, drown in it of the goodness of God? and how good he is to us, and then pass it on. See, the interesting thing about all of this that I realized <clears throat> is this call is for everyone. And what that means is we have to understand that when we follow Christ in this, we're going to have to be countercultural. We're going to have to be countercultural. Now, this is another. I, I guess I'm dating myself a lot today. I, I think it all started with um, Jacob when he said, you know, hey, let's talk about the Middle Ages when you were in your Middle Ages. So... The idea here is this. Anyone remember Sandy Koufax? Some of you know who Sandy Koufax is. Sandy Koufax was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And in 1965, they made the World Series. And in the first game of the World Series, and understand Sandy, Sandy Koufax would be uh, 
comparable in terms of pitching. Um, if I were a Cubs fan, I would say Kyle Hendricks, but uh, Sandy Koufax is much better. Someone who's a really good pitcher in his day, and he said, listen, it's the Sabbath, I cannot pitch game one. Can you imagine an athlete getting up and saying, it's, this is it, man, this is everything. Everything is on the line. I cannot pitch. That's counterculture. Everyone's like, is this guy an idiot? You spent the whole season to get to this place, and then you say you can't pitch. Like Eric Little, right, in the Olympics. You've spent your whole life, this is your best event, and you're not going to run because it's Sunday church? What's wrong with you? Hey, parents, do you have a kid in a sports league today? If you have a kid in a sports league today, can you imagine not showing up on Sunday? Anybody here ever feel mother to Oh, shame on the call that Jesus made. The call that God the Father made. Oh, shame on the call that Jesus made. The call that God the Father made is not just... Okay, you all heard that, right? I didn't either, and I'm old. So the idea is what was said was Philippians 3, 7, and 8, where it talks about where Christ is so valuable, everything else is but God. I've seen me rescue you from Egypt. You have seen me rescue you from your enemies as you've come goodness of God. And Paul's saying the same thing to Timothy. You've seen these things. Pass it on. It's being countercultural. But we need to keep passing it on. It's not just about being good disciples, but it's also a part about being disciple makers. Let me land this plane. My hope at Harvest over the next few years is that we continue to see a growing culture of care, enhanced disciple making. What that means is when we recognize that we are a broken body, that it recognizes that we have our faults, we have our failings, we are not perfect. When we are able to receive the grace that God pours out upon us, how can I hold it in? I want to give it to others. That is my vision. It's to own it and pass it on. It's a culture of disciple making. Let me finish with just one area that I would like to see us grow as a church in, especially when it comes to owning it and passing it on. It's corporate prayer. It's corporate prayer. Now, corporate prayer for years at Harvest, we have struggled with corporate prayer. Uh, Sometimes we'll start afresh. uh, 20 people will show up. By the end of three or four months, it's down to two or three, four or five people. Understandable. You are busy. There is, is no way today that it's so easy for people to drive 45 minutes on a Wednesday night to be able to join prayer meeting. The first church that I went to when I became a follower of Christ demanded that you were there twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday. I don't think that works in our culture, just to be honest with you. I love if prayer is an expression of what and who you love, I have to confess that I love myself. 95% of my prayer, it feels like, is my whining to God about something that I didn't like about what just happened. When I really am honest and examine my prayer life, the only thing I like to pray, and I've been praying more than I've ever had in my life, is because I like to whine and complain. I really don't like to pray for other people because I'm so self-centered about what's going on in my life. Sometimes I go, I go through the day and I go, have I really prayed for somebody else? So I don't want you to sit there and think, well, this guy, man, he's, his job is to pray for crying out loud. How dare he call us to this? I'm not saying that at all. What I'm telling you is to be honest, this is where I start from. I know that if I don't have something set 
to pray for harvest, I will not pray for harvest like I really should. This is where I'm going to trick you. I am not calling you to join a corporate prayer meeting. I'm inviting you. I'm begging you, desiring greatly that you will come out every first Saturday and to join our prayer meetings. I think they're going to be wonderful. I hope one day they're kind of like Brooklyn Tabernacle where they have thousands of people who are coming and great things are happening. That's my hope and desire for that meeting. But what I think more importantly with all of you doing so much is we still must pray for our church. Two medical emergencies, very serious this week in our church. Financial struggles at times in our church. Conflict in our church. There's so much going on in our church. I think each and every one of us can probably get up here and say, here is my struggle in the midst of my life right now. This is what I feel. I feel alone. I feel betrayed. I feel empty. There's a whole bunch of mess here. We can pray for our church. So how do we do this? Here's my solution. And it could be a bad solution. But I think that if every one of us here found two people that we could call on the phone and actually sit down for about 10 or 15 minutes once a week and just pray for the church. That's it. You could do it through FaceTime. You could do it through Zoom. You could do it through a, a thing they call a phone call. Whatever you want, you can do it. And we can, our church needs to be prayed for. And I think that's the simplest way. At the end of 2023, to hear that we have plenty of triads of people who are actually praying for my church. And you know what? Even crazier, spontaneous praying with people. <clears throat> this is crazy to me, and I'm going to finish with this. This week, as I'm sitting at the office, I said, you know, I wish Jeannie was here, too, because I like when Jeannie prays. And all it is is a matter of a church just going downstairs and being with someone and saying, hey, you know what? Give them a call, whatever. Can we just pray for harvest right now? And just pray. We own it. I, I love this church, and I, I want to see the church grow. Not in terms of just numbers, but in terms of our heart for Jesus. So that as we become enamored with Jesus, it's something that we own and something that we can pass on. My vision for 2023 is a culture of care at harvest. So that eventually you could say, we don't need a congregational care pastor because we all care for one another. Now, mind you, I'm not leaving. I don't want to leave. Don't fire me. I'm just saying, that's my vision. A church that cares. A church that then takes what they own and passes it on. Let's pray. <clears throat> I think that there's a lot, hopefully us to reflect on. I don't know where you're at right now. My hope would be that you have something that you can say I own in Christ. Jesus owns me. Not in a bad way, but Jesus has my heart. I want to own that. I want, I want to have that hunger and thirst. You might not be there right now, and you might say, well, you know what? I give up. I can't do it. My hope, my answer to that is it's not about you doing something other than just surrendering and saying, Jesus, here I am. One of my favorite prayers that I learned uh, this year is from the book of Isaiah when God says, hey, uh, who am I going to send? 
And Isaiah says, here I am. And I cheated and morphed that prayer. And it was like this. It's like God the Father looks and says, who can I send? There's nobody. And then my response is, God, here I am. I'm a screwed up mess. I think I love sin more than I love you. I'd rather sin more than be holy sometimes. It just amazes me. And yet you still love me. Here I am, chocolate mess and all. Do with me what you want. It could be that simple prayer. God, I want to own my relationship with you. I want to grow in that. To recognize how good God is to us all. And to not miss out on that. To actually experience life as life as supposed to be. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm just, that's great, but I try and I try and I'm I'm never going to be successful and do this. We learn in scripture that the righteous falls down six times, but gets up for a seventh. And the idiom is they just keep walking. Fall, get back up. You fall, you get back None of us here are perfect. I just pray, receive grace. Receive grace. Own it, pass it on. I was talking to Calvin yesterday, and one of the things that I admired about Peter Yu and when he was leading community groups is that disciple making, that passing on, that giving it to others and, and growing and multiplying the groups. Something that I always admired about him. It's, it's, that's where we want to be as a church, taking this greatness and goodness of a God who loves us so much in spite of who we are and then says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How can you not turn and say, God, I want you. And then to respond in prayer and saying, my church family, I want to pray for them. And I want to see that we all experience that revelation of Jesus. That is life-changing. Father, you are in heaven. And yet you are here also. And as we've learned in the past, heaven in the fullest sense is wherever you are, is heaven. Help us not to just look for a place to go when we die, but to see the kingdom of heaven established in our hearts, in our lives, in our ministry, passing on to people. the wonders of your mercy and your grace. And I I pray for our, our, our church culture to be one of grace and mercy and care and concern for everyone. And even now as we are here and just think of Eugene in a hospital, Eddie at home, so many other illnesses that are in our midst. We pray for comfort. We pray for strength. We pray for healing. We pray for life. We pray for all of them. We pray for our church. Father, though we may have wandered away, you call us to return and know you. Like it says in Hosea 6, come, let us return to the Lord. Let us know him. Let us press on. Let us strive to do just that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.